John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And this morning we want to look at the right identification. You know, we uh, live in a day when we're very concerned about security. Much of what we do, especially if you do anything online, requires some identification of who you are, who you say uh, you are, who you say you are. I guess that's a, a way to put it. Uh, but we have questions like, "What was your mother's maiden name?" or "What is your name of your first school you attended?" "What was your pet's your first pet's name?" Um, and if you're not online, uh, you may have to produce an ID card or maybe use a, if you use a credit card some places, they want to see a picture ID like your driver's license. And to, so these questions are related, I think, even to our text today. Who are you? Uh, what is the source of your identity? How should your sense of who you are before God as a Christian shape how you live and what you do? And our text shows us that John the Baptist was a man who was clear on who he was not and who he was. He was also clear on who Jesus is, and so he was able to point others to, clearly to Jesus as the only Savior whom they desperately needed. Now at this point, we're going to leave our prologue and begin a section, a longer section, uh, verses 19, uh, actually, uh, through... Uh, Verse 54, that assembles kind of a testimony uh, for Jesus as the Son of God, the one uh, in whom uh, we should all believe. And the rest of chapter 1 presents the witness of the forerunner, John the Baptist, to Jesus. And we have two sections for this, uh, uh, to show John's witness to Jesus at the inception of Jesus' ministry. And then also to clarify John's relationship to Jesus as one of a witness rather than a rivalry. Now back in verses 1, or chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, uh, we saw three aspects of Baptist, uh, John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus. Uh, he was not the light. Uh, he was sent to bear witness to the light. And his aim was that all might believe through him. Now those three points really outline John chapter 1, verse 19 through 51. In verses 19 to 28, we're going to look at today, John testifies that he is not the light. And then in verses 29 through 34, he bears witness to the light. And then in verses 35 through 51, we see John's witness begins to bear fruit as several of his disciples believe in Jesus and they begin to follow him. And now in this message, that's what we're going to cover, the first point, verses 19 through uh, 28, uh, which we can state as it applies to us. We need to be clear on who we are in God's kingdom so that we can effectively point others to Jesus for salvation. And I believe to appreciate this section, you have to use maybe some imagination, uh, kind of put yourself in John's sandals, if you please. Uh, God has called uh, you to preach, even though you haven't had any formal training. Uh, to be honest, uh, you're a bit different on how you dress and in what you eat. Rather than the common linen tunic, you wear a camel's hair garment. Uh, with a leather belt, and your diet consists of locusts and wild honey. 
That's what we found about John back in Matthew chapter 3. And then you don't quite blend into the mainstream of culture. You don't go to the capital and launch your ministry, but you're out there in the wilderness. And your message isn't exactly user-friendly or sensitive. And so your opening line is found in Luke chapter 3 and verse 7. O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, that'll uh, really uh, win friends and influence people, right? A ministry consultant in church leadership workshop might tell you, you know, you need to improve on your public image. Uh, Perhaps you've, I don't know if you've ever read Dale Carnegie, but he... uh, I wrote the book on uh, how to win friends and influence people. I don't think John the Baptist ever read that book. But uh, so he didn't have quite the, uh, uh, the up-to-date uh, uh, way to improve his public image. But you know what? Surprisingly, thousands of people are flocking to hear you preach. Remember, you're putting yourself in his sandals now. You're baptizing many who repent for the forgiveness of their sins. And then one day, uh, a delegation of nicely dressed fellows from the religious big boys in Jerusalem arrives to check you out. And they take you aside and they say, well, who are you? Uh, It could be a bit threatening if you weren't sure of your calling and your message. But you know what? John was clear. John was clear on who he was not and who he was. And because of that, he clearly pointed the religious bigwigs of that day to Jesus. Now, did they accept him? Not, probably not very many of them did. But I want us to notice and take this passage and see how you and I can effectively point others to Jesus. How are we going to point people to Christ? Well, number one, we need to be clear on who we're not. We need to be clear on who we are not. Now, this is verses 19 through 21 here. In this section, the Apostle John sets up the tension that will mount between the religious crowd versus Christ and his true followers. In verse 19, he first mentions the Jews. Now, John's actually going to use that term, the Jews, 68 times. Sometimes he uses it in a neutral sense, sometimes in a good sense. But more often, he uses it to refer to the Jewish people and especially uh, religious leaders from Jerusalem who were hostile toward Jesus. And because of John's frequent use of this term, some have accused him of being anti-Semitic. Well, that's foolishness because... You need to remember, he was a Jew himself. Uh, Jesus was a Jew. John was not attacking Jewish people. Or, uh, uh, or what was right and good in Judaism. But rather, he was trying to challenge those who had so failed to appreciate their own heritage that they failed to see the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was clear. Number one, that he was not Christ. He was not the Christ. Now, the messianic expectations were running high in Israel as people longed for deliverance from the Roman rule. 
And based on different promises in Hebrew scripture, the people were expecting that one day God would send an especially great person, a mighty deliverer, uh, who uh, would represent God in a unique way and usher in the age of righteousness and peace, including deliverance from foreign rule. And so when the religious leaders in Jerusalem heard about John's popularity, they, they decided they better go check him out. Maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the great one that's going to deliver us. But he was kind of puzzling to them. He was of priestly descent, and he could have been a part of their crowd, living comfortably in one of their cities, kind of dressing in more conventional robes and functioning as part of the religious establishment. But instead, he's living out in the wilderness. He's a very unconventional person, living in an unconventional way. His message wasn't very friendly either. He did seem a bit odd. Apparently, the religious delegation asked John if he were the Christ, the Messiah. Or at least John sensed that was implicitly behind their question, Who are you? The Apostle John then piles up phrases to indicate that John the Baptist vigorously denied that he was the Christ, and he confessed and denied not, and confessed, I am not the Christ. Verse 20. It's as if the Apostle John is saying, you know, I heard, I myself heard him confess and not one instant deny, and this is what he confessed, that he is not the Christ. John the Baptist's strong reply left no room for further questioning along these lines. But John the Baptist was clear that he was not the Christ. Secondly, he was also clear, excuse me, I keep going on here, I should not do that. He was not Elijah. Verse 21. In verse 21, they asked him, what then art thou Elias? He said, I am not. Now that was probably a pretty good guess if they were going to try to guess who he was. Because you know what? John kind of looked like the description of Elijah. Both in his rugged wilderness lifestyle, his fiery message of judgment. Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet 400 years before, stated that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, God would send Elijah, the prophet, to restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and to the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so this was taken to mean that before the Messiah came, Elijah's going to come. But what is John's answer? No, I am not Elijah. And so that denial seems to contradict what Jesus later stated, that John was the Elijah of Malachi 4. And the angel who predicted John's birth to his father, Zacharias, cited the same prophecy and said that John would go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So why does John deny that he's Elijah? Well, several answers to that. First of all, John probably knew that some Jews were expecting a literal Elijah who did not die when he was carried away in the fiery chariot to return in a spectacular way from heaven. But John denied that he was this literal Elijah. Elijah. But Jesus was not speaking of a literal Elijah when he spoke of John, but John coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. 
John had to humble uh, or had a humble uh, uh, opinion of himself. Uh, he may not have been much significant in his ministry uh, as Jesus did, but Jesus talks about John's true significance. No man is what he himself thinks he is. He's only what Jesus knows him to be. And John was not interested in building or a following after uh, himself as a latter-day Elijah, but rather in pointing others to Jesus Christ. John denied that he was Elijah. And then John the Baptist was clear that he was not a prophet. Again, verse 21, he tries a third possibility. Art thou the prophet? John's answers are growing increasingly short. He says, no. He wants to cut off all this misleading speculation about himself. The religious leaders were referring to the prophet that Moses had predicted in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, where it says, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And the Jews distinguished between this latter-day prophet and the Messiah, but early Christian preachers equated the prophet that Moses predicted with the Messiah. But John doesn't want to go there, so he just gives them a very terse reply and says no. Now at this point, the delegation has nothing positive to put there in their report. See, they want to make a report, but hey, it's not working out. And so they repeat the question in verse 22. Who art thou? Who are you? Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? You know, we got to put something in the report. (laughs) Who are you? This leads us to John's plain statement of who he is. And in order to effectively point others to Jesus, we need to be clear on who we are. We need to be clear on who we are. This is verses 22 through 28. And John was clear on who he was. He was clear about his role in God's economy. And his interchange with these leaders brings about three positive ways that John viewed himself. Notice, first of all, John the Baptist saw himself as a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. That's Isaiah. He's citing Isaiah 40, verse 3. The point of the quotation is that it gives no prominence to the preacher whatever. He didn't say, I am the great voice. No. I'm the great voice that was referred to by Isaiah. No, he didn't say that. He is, I am the important voice. No, he didn't say that either. He didn't say, I am the important voice that's going to change the course of history. Rather, he was just a voice. A voice calling attention to the coming of the Lord. And the imagery was that before a king could visit a a town, a messenger would go before him and announce, Hey, the king's coming. The king is coming. And the townspeople would hurry out and clear the way 
They'd clean up the streets and they'd uh, they'd get all the obstacles out of the way. They'd wash out parts of the road to smooth the way for the king's coming. And the messenger didn't call attention to himself. Hey, say, look at me. The king's coming. No, he was just a voice that was preparing the way. John makes it clear the coming queen, a uh, king, excuse me, is none other than, I don't know how I got the queen in there, but that's the wrong version. John makes it clear the coming king is none other than the Lord. Now, we notice here he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, the word wilderness there may have been a spiritual allusion to the barren state of Jewish religion. It had degenerated into religious ritualism and legalism rather than a personal relationship with the living God. You know, it's a tendency of all religions, including Christianity, to devolve, if you please, from knowing God and walking with him on the heart level into awkward observance of rituals and rules. And whenever this happens, God raises up a spokesman to call people back to walking with him. And to do that, we have to be clear, or we have to be clear about who we are, and we have to clear away the obstacles of sin. We have to fill the ruts of ritualism and Uh, that have robbed us of the reality with God. Notice that John the Baptist not only is a voice crying out on the wilderness, but he is one who baptizes the repentant in water. Now, some Pharisees in the delegation were not satisfied with John's answer, so they asked him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? Well, now that this point, John could have gone into a lengthy discussion of himself and his role as a baptizer. But again, his reply with regard to himself is as brief as possible, and he directs things to Christ. He said, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. And we'll see more about John's baptism in another study, so we won't go there right now, but in verse 28... John identifies the location where John was baptizing, Bethabara, beyond Jordan, distinguishing it from Bethany that was near Jerusalem. And so John the Baptist saw himself as one who baptized in the repentant in water. Thirdly, he was a lowly servant of Jesus. Now, after telling the religious leaders uh, that they didn't know the one standing among them, John continues to describe him. In verse 27, he says, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Now it's been said that all manner of service that a slave must render to his master, the pupil must render to his teacher, except that of taking off his shoe. So John saw himself as a lowly slave and Jesus as a worthy master, that John wasn't even worthy to untie his sandal strap and to point people to Christ. We need to join with John, esteeming ourselves less and exalting Christ more. You see, it's not about you, it's about him. People don't need to be impressed with you They need to be impressed with Jesus. 
You know, the world will always give us opportunities to esteem ourselves. To esteem ourselves more highly than we ought to. Something we are cautioned about by Paul in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. But you know, those who are growing in godliness see themselves as unworthy slaves. The world will ask, well, are you the Christ? Now, they may not go so far as to answer yes, but there's plenty of self-inflated preachers who will say, well, no, I'm not the Christ, but you know, I'm glad you noticed the resemblance. Well, then... Are you Elijah or the prophet? Well, you could say that I'm a lot like them. Yes, if Elijah were here now, I'm sure we'd be the best of friends because we're so much alike. Many of the TV preachers reek of that kind of pride today. Do you know what? Genuine prophets like John don't call attention to themselves except to admit, I'm just an unworthy slave. And Jesus is the only worthy master. Follow him. You see, to effectively point others to Christ, we need to be clear about who we are not. And then we need to be clear on who we are. Thirdly, we must be clear on who we are in God's kingdom. Now, we'll see more of John pointing these religious leaders to Jesus in our next study. But in the study following that, we'll see how he pointed his own disciples to Jesus. He wasn't trying to hang on to uh, them for himself. He wasn't trying to build a, a legacy of the JBMI. You know what the JBMI is? That's the John the Baptist Ministries International. He wasn't making, he wasn't trying to come up with a big, uh, it's always it's amazing how that uh, people name their ministries after themselves. You know. But that's not John's way of doing things. John's motto was found in John 3, 30. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And I think that's a good rule to keep in mind when you get a chance to talk about spiritual things. You need to ask, who do you think Jesus is? Have you considered his claims? Have you read the Gospels to learn about his supernatural life? You know, everything hangs on who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. It doesn't have anything to do with me. The need of every sinner is to know Christ as Savior and Lord. That's especially true of religious sinners. You know, John easily could have thought that these religious leaders had it together spiritually. After all, they, hey, they meticulously kept the law. We talked about that a little bit in our uh, Sunday school class, didn't we, young people? You remember that, right? How you can be disciplined and you can do everything, but discipline doesn't replace holiness. Discipline isn't isn't even a way to holiness. You can be the most disciplined person in the world, but you can be a sinner that needs Christ. They went beyond the law by tithing their table spices and keeping rituals of cleansing and other outwardly observable religious duties, but their heart was far from God. 
And the same thing can happen right here in our own church. You can dress nice. You can wear a white shirt and a tie or red. Whatever. You can put money in the offering. You can sing. But you can also be proud of that. And you can be blind to your pride. But you need to be confronted with the fact that in the midst stands one whom you may not know. Now as we conclude our message here, there are four foundational lessons from John the Baptist on which or how we to evaluate accurately who we are and how we can point people to Christ. Number one, religion given up for Christ. If you're only into religion, into church, rather than Christ, you will flatter yourself with your religious performance rather than humble yourselves in the holy presence of Christ. These religious leaders didn't go out to hear John preach so that they could repent and come to know God better. They were quite satisfied with the religious performance. They were there to bring John under their control so that more people didn't follow him because he was a threat to their religious establishment. Their religion was filled with pride and kept uh, them from knowing the Messiah and the Savior. Religion is always an enemy of the reality of reality with God. You say, "Well, I'm not, I'm not into religion." Well, sometimes what we do can be classified as religion because it's not, it's not biblical. It's not, uh, it's not what leads people to Christ. It's not what leads our life to live like Christ. And if you are this way, you need to give up your religion, secondly, for a relationship with Christ. That's the second lesson here. You can only evaluate yourself correctly and point people to Jesus to the extent that you truly know him. How can you point people to Jesus if you really don't know him, don't have a relationship with him? Ask yourself, do I have reality with God? Do I walk daily with Christ? Do I repent of my sins on uh, the heart or the thought level? Someone has observed it would be better at the last day never to have been born than to have had Christ standing among us and not have known him. There's a third lesson. And that's realize humility alongside Christ. Humility is essential. For a correct view of yourself. But self-esteem is detrimental. Now that may shock some people. Since self-esteem is viewed in even evangelical circles. As foundational for the Christian life. You know you got to love yourself. That's a worldly philosophy. That's a humanistic philosophy. But the doctrine that so-called doctrine has not only flooded the church in the past 40 or so years, but thanks to Christian leaders, they've imported it from worldly psychology. When you read the godly men from the past, they consistently pit self-esteem against self-denial and humility that Jesus commanded. And again, it has been observed, there is indeed nothing that man's nature seeks more eagerly than to be flattered. 
And they went on to say, to point out that self-love is innate in all of us and that people will flock to preachers who tickle their pride and build their self-esteem. But such talk only deceives us and drives us into utter ruin. In commenting on John's humility, it's been said, never shall we feel the need of humility so deeply as when we lie on our deathbeds and stand before judgment seat of Christ. Our whole lives will then appear a long catalog of imperfections, ourselves as nothing, and Christ as all. Having a humble relationship with Christ, there's a fourth lesson I believe here, and that is redeem your time for Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I don't know what your, well, I do know some of your gifts, but some of you might have some hidden gifts. And whatever your gift or your calling, you can do as John did, and you can point people to Jesus. John's aim was to deflect attention from himself. To exalt Christ as the one worthy of all glory. Now we're going to see in verses 29 and verse 36. He's going to point everyone to Jesus as the Lamb of God. He's going to say, behold, the Lamb of God. Sinners need their sins forgiven. And by offering himself as a substitute for sinners, Jesus will forgive the sins of all that trust him. In him. You see, that's the wonderful news you need to be telling people. Religion needs to be given up for Christ. You need to have a relationship with Christ. You need to realize humility alongside Christ and then redeem your time for Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven,